Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was it someone Wait, who went down you... a one-way? So we are going down a one-way, uh-huh. uh, down 18th, which, as we know, 18th is the <laughs> worst. 18th and yes. 17th Street are literally the, the worst, worst streets, streets in Waco, in Waco to drive. <laughs> um, and we were Next to Waco Drive. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one-way, and so mm-hmm. we were in the left lane, and there was a very sweet old lady in the middle lane. Mm-hmm. And she, from the middle lane, decided to turn left, which... Oh. We oh. were in the left lane, and so we T-boned her. Yeah, Ooh. I was driving. It was. It was. It was like slow motion, like some like what is it? Fast and Furious. <laughs> like it was literally like uh, slow, slow motion, like, no. slow mo, fast no. furious. But like way more curse words, and also like I. So I thought our window broke because mm. I heard the glass like shatter, and my glasses yeah. like flew from my face. Oh, it was like a whole thing. But like when we, when I got out of the car, I couldn't see anything, and eventually, I think like ten or twenty minutes later, I assumed our window was broken, mm-hmm. and I look over, and our window is fully intact, and but all of her glass was all over our window. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So I guess her glass like. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a thing. So scary. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, we're good. Got the day yep. off from work. <laughs> She's got an injured, injured uh, wing. have to get in a uh, car accident or get the coronavirus to get off of work. Yeah. Exactly. Which is nice. Which Workers' right? rights, huh? Workers' rights. Which, guys, <laughs> fun fact, a lot, of people, a lot of <laughs> workers' rights, a lot of people <laughs> don't know this, uh-huh. but the federal government actually passed their very first um, Paid Family Leave Act when the coronavirus oh, acted, okay. and you get two weeks of paid leave required by the government mm-hmm. if you contract coronavirus Mm -hmm. if your immediate family contracts it and you have to take care Mm -hmm. of them um or you have to because you came in contact with somebody and you've been asked to quarantine Mm. so it's it's a shame that we don't do the same whenever people have humans right you know (laughs) give birth and stuff so i actually work in california Mm -hmm. And so because I work in California, I actually do, because my employer is a California employer, I do get paid leave okay. if I were to have kids. I get four weeks of disability mm-hmm. and then like, I think like 12 or 16 weeks of like paid, mm-hmm. you know, leave, which is not full paid, but it's still, I think three yeah. quarters. That's so good. It's great. And most employers opt mm-hmm. to just pay the full thing because the state is paying three quarters and they'll just pay a quarter. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. Investing in your employees. 
And the tax isn't that crazy. I think it's something like 1% or 2%. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody pays it. It's incredible how people actually become, like, more creative and productive employees whenever you invest in them. You don't just see them as, like, how can I squeeze the most work out of them without right. investing them? Yeah. <laughs> it's so – I mean, we and we learn. We see models that work, but yet, yeah, it's just so stubborn. Wait, so um, – who are we talking to here? Oh, we are talking to the oh, wonderful about, host. How about, okay, before we get into okay. too many. <laughs> no, this, this is a hard pivot. It's, a hard pivot. Hard pivot. it's either a segue, segue or a hard pivot. Be, but segues are like those things that you ride on, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. The, 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 the owner, the guy who invented the segue died on a segue. He no, fell he off a cliff. Yes, no, I'm only didn't. saying segues. So whenever Terry and Mike listen to my segue segues mm -hmm. that they have to drink every it's time I say segue. Um, speaking of hard pivot, this is a good segue. So, um, we are sitting down today with Hope Falfa Ustakim. There you go. Uh, thank you for Perfect. coming on. Coming Keep to Break a ballot near you. Podcast. <laughs> November 3rd. Uh, let's talk about, um, maybe some of the things you're working on yeah. and, uh, some, some of the initiatives you're pushing for and for sure. just the overall terrible state of the world currently and uh, what we're doing to make it better. Yeah, some really good things are coming out of some pretty terrible things. But um, side note, I just want to mention that I love the name that Terry coined for me last week. I uh, open open mic. He's like, he called me Waco Sweetheart. And I was uh, like, oh, coming from Terry, that means a lot because we fight. Like, when he said, <laughs> no, wait, did, did you listen to the podcast that we were just on? We literally talk about, he's like, how much he loves you and how much you like <laughs> and how much, uh, I think it's that y'all, he wouldn't say that y'all fight, but uh -huh. it's like a love hate, but uh -huh. like you hold him accountable yes. type. Oh, I need to go back and listen to it's it. It's a really, really good podcast. Um, it was on the Bluesville podcast and basically we talk a lot about like um like our interactions with the police mm -hmm. his inter versus mm -hmm. him in Ontario's interactions with police um what white people can do mm -hmm. um you know as how to be allies yeah um and it's a funny conversation it's very candid yeah. um but we do talk about you that's sweet okay <laughs> I was wondering I was like yeah Terry gets whenever he posts something I think he knows as soon as he hits post he's like hope's gonna be on me about this we, hey I think we all have those people yeah. like, like i specifically made a post last week on mm -hmm. facebook and it, um and it, it, i made a disclaimer like it was it was about black lives matter mm -hmm. and in the i commented first before <laughs> anyone else could comment right i said do not come in this comment section talking about some all lives matter oh, bs God. Because if you do, I am not responsible for anyone else roasting your yeah. ass. Yeah, my friends will roast you. Yeah. And yeah. they did. They, well, his, like, okay, no offense. No, no. Was it family? Don't, don't, was it family? Leave it out. Leave it out. Family. Family. Or take that out. But it's it always family. family. Uh, it was family. So I had a person uh, that I'm friends me. with that I was specifically thinking of when mm -hmm. I made that. Mm -hmm. And I knew others yeah. in my friend group to do that um, purposefully to mm -hmm. keep them from, just give them a pause. Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to respond. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe don't, you know, I just gave them that opportunity to, you know, green light, yellow light. <laughs> and then if you go, if you speed through that yellow light, that's she your fault. She doubled to get down and don't it, they always? it just, and it, at first it was like, okay, I see what you're saying. Like, like I, I understand where like all lives matter. People miss the point. Mm -hmm. I understand yeah. that they're sometimes. Well, whenever you have historically always held a position of power or privilege, even exactly. though you don't want to admit it, whenever you are faced with what equality looks like, it, it seems feels like, like oppression. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It feels like oppression. Totally. So and yeah, it, they're just, it's a lot of people are, are, they feel like exclude when you exclude, you're excluding them. And I've seen people actually say that. Like I saw somebody mm. recently say when I 
hear Black Lives Matter, I feel left out. It's because white people feel entitled to every single space Everything. that exists. Yeah. yeah. And that's a shame. It's like the whole idea of like Black History Month or the BT channel. What about like, White History Month? And like our entire history is just based upon white superiority and so exceptionalism. I had the best comeback today. It was t- <laughs> oh my God, not today. It was like, it was like two days ago, but it was on Facebook. And I normally don't comment on people's things. Yeah. I don't, because I don't like to engage. But <laughs> You don't feed the trolls. This girl, she posted something that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was like, kind of like a, she was tying in like a, a Bible verse about yeah. how Jesus talked about the 99 sheep, but the one was missing mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and talking about how black lives matter it was it's a very nice metaphor mm-hmm. well this guy comments in all capital oh, Lord. letters <laughs> all caps. like this Super is gay. the most racist <laughs> thing i've ever heard in my life what about bet television <laughs> what about all black clubs what about like the, all they, black clubs is not a thing okay yes yeah. and i know all <laughs> black clubs just because you don't want to go to them doesn't mean yeah, you're, you invited, you're invited <laughs> let's go party no but okay so but i just commented <laughs> because it was already starting to go like people were already calling this guy an idiot because yeah. you know he, it, he was acting like one. he was mm-hmm. it was not even cohesive sentences mm-hmm. it was like period 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 mm-hmm. what about period 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 <laughs> and what like the about? up down lowercase uppercase yes. <laughs> so i commented and i was like you know honestly it's 9 a.m <laughs> i i can't my brain is not ready to like combat mm-hmm. the ignorance and racism that is in this post mm-hmm. however i wanted to share a P- psa mm-hmm. Um, the T in BET stands for television, so there's no need to say BET television. That's <laughs> oh, redundant. It's <laughs> done. And I mean, it was just like everybody was like, "Oh, <laughs> burn!" She just called well, you true. ignorant. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's one of my pet peeves. BET <laughs> television. That's you just said. Black entertainment television, television. What is it? Oh, Very the, passive aggressive. The, nice. Uh, nice. The Federal Office of Redundancy, Redundancy. It was like, <laughs> there's some joke. Oh my gosh. Mike, We're gonna go, Mike, go ahead and look that up for me, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> you asked me, me what projects I'm working right. on. Should I, go, should I go back when we, we detracted and went talk about Terry? Sure. Let's talk about what you do and then okay. let's kind of talk about what, uh, what the future holds. Right. So, I came to Waco 10 years ago and I was an intern at Mission Waco. And um, I was living in Houston at the time. I was in banking and lived with a really sweet family. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. So I was only in Houston for two years. And I was like, hey, I want to do, you know, I was living in the Christian bubble. And I was like, all the prosperity gospel blessings raining down, like, which is AKA social capital, right? The right relationships, the right social capital gets you the connections. Mm-hmm. Sure. And we call that like, you know, blessings for your, your obedience. But it was like obedience to a religion or a church or a people, a group of people got you the goods. So I, I was there. It was a really sweet church, um, a lot of good healing and things happened. But then I was like, okay, well, now that I've got a chance to breathe and heal from a lot of my childhood traumas or, or all those things, what, like what, this isn't what it's all about. It's not just all about me. Like my faith is not, it's not the whole point of this is not just for me to get everything I hope and dream and desire. Cause I was reading the Bible and, and noticed so much about like advocacy and speaking up for others and um, saw like Jesus calling out the vipers and the whitewashed tombs. And like, he was he was going in on them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. why don't we ever talk about this in church? And like, I just, I saw something was missing. So I came to Waco. My best friend had interned here and she's like, you need to go. You'll love it. Came here, fell in love with it. Um, six months later, I transferred. I had to go back to Houston, tie up old loose ends, came back to Waco, transferred to Baylor, switched from education 
ironically, secondary education. I wanted to be a, a teacher. Um, I was going to teach eighth grade language arts to teach kids how to use writing and poetry um, as a way as a therapeutic. So because that's what it was for me in middle school. And so um, I switched to social work because everyone around me was like, um, you're a social worker. Like you think you want to do education. But the reason why you want to be in education is so that you can build relationships and connect them to resources like you want to be a school social worker. So um, switched to social work, loved it right in the middle of my social work undergrad. <clears throat> my ex-husband was picked up by immigration mm. and he that's what people always wonder like how did you end up here in this wh what I do and I'm like well um whenever it becomes like your life your your experience um it just becomes really real and so um my dad had already been in and out of prison or jails my whole life he's actually in Angola state right now oh. um has COVID like it's real like people oh. don't yeah so oh people gosh. look at me and they're like oh my god you have a master's from Baylor like you know you have it all together and I'm like there's so much about people that we don't we don't know until we know and Absolutely. so um yeah, so I was an undergrad and I had married someone who had a, a past but had an incredible story of like restoration and transformation and healing. So I wasn't shying away from someone who I'm like, that was character building. He's integrity and everything. Sure. Um, but we didn't know that he had a prior drug charge that he had pled guilty to. So this kind of brings in the whole criminal justice side of where I am now. So he had pled guilty to a federal a felony drug charge not federal felony. <laughs> and so, um, when he pled guilty, the people up in the County where he was located, they knew him as like the new immigrant kid. Like he was trying to fit in and his, his stepdad had died. He loved his stepdad. Like it was a lot of tragic loss. They understood it was more about, you know, it was a small enough town where they knew him. And so the DA and the judge were like, you need treatment more than anything. So if you agree to go to treatment, we will give you adjudicated like your 10 year probation. Wow. So that's how he ended up in Waco was mission Waco's drug treatment program. I met him at mission Waco. I was like, this is incredible. Like my dad is still addicted. My dad's still an active addiction. And here's this youngish man who has like arrested his addiction and is doing everything that he needs to do to stay clean. Cause I've had a lot of people, a lot of people I love make promises to me and not keep them. And so I was so just, um, in awe and super, I respected him a lot. And so within one year we were married and then, <laughs> uh, eight months into our marriage, I showed up immigration did. And they were like, Oh, by the way, whenever, cause they came to our door and we have a brand new house. We just bought in North Waco <clears throat> over there on 12th street when Parkside was still there. I know some people in here remember Parkside. <laughs> um, we're three blocks away from Parkside. And um, we were asleep and he we heard a knock on the door at 7 a.m. He's like, I guess it's my probation officer. So she just loves him. And she was like, oh, hey, okay, done my, my job. And she leaves. <clears throat> but it wasn't her. It was ICE. And so it was like SWAT oh, no. team gear. No. And we didn't even know that ICE was a thing. Like ICE is a brand new agency. It's very like, new. Like 12 years or so. Yeah. Not during, before during, it was the during INS. The Bush, was, during the Bush administration. Yeah. Like we didn't even have a, a part of the, the Department of Homeland Security. Like we didn't even have this this branch that goes out and, and just pulls people out of homes and stuff. And we, our society was safe. Like we were doing okay without them. Right. And um, so they showed up and they're like, oh, there was a new program. And we were combing through old probation files for anyone who's not a citizen. He's like, I have a green card. I've been here 25 years. Like I just renewed my green card. They're like, yeah, sorry. This new federal program just started and you just came up on our desk. And I'm like, you're not taking into consideration the contributions people are making to their community. Like he sponsors other recovering addicts. There right. are men whose recovery is like hinging on their, their sponsor. And he was starting a new um, job, like a million dollar 
support services group. It's like a call center. Like he was team lead. Like it affects our economy when you start tearing people out of their communities. That are putting their roots down. Yes, and doing all the right things. And what a lot of people don't realize, a lot of people, you know, you have these Fox News stereotypes, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But these people are people who pay taxes. They buy houses. Everyone has like a whole story. We can't look at a person as being two dimensional. Right. When you look at a person on paper, like they even said that they're like, man, on paper, you looked pretty scary just because of like a felony drug charge. And they're like, but we came to your door and you're like 145 pounds soaking wet glasses and put, you know, like so unintimidating. And they're, they even, you, they looked like they even felt like a little bit of guilt. And I'm like, oh, I'm just doing my job. I was like, your job sucks. But <laughs> so they picked him up and he, before we knew it within 24 hours, he was in a detention center in South Texas. And, um, he, they told him he was going there for a bond hearing. And I was like, I don't have money for bonds. So I was already crying about that. And then turns out they handed him a stack of um, like scrubs and a, a tiny mattress. And he was like, I think I'm going to be here for a while. So we had to let his employer know, like find someone else to replace him. We had to find attorneys. We had, oh my gosh. But we had so many, so much social capital that we had, you know, it was overwhelming and it, all this stuff. But we still had connections. We still had people we could turn to. And what year was this? 2011. So like... Social media is pretty kind of dominant at this point. Yeah, Facebook. So I just got on. And the thing is, I didn't have like a shame or a stigma attached to like we were in like a mixed status family, but I wasn't an immigrant and he wasn't a Hispanic immigrant. So there was like him being an Asian immigrant. He didn't know that same level of shame or stigma that Hispanic immigrants in this community undocumented folks would face. So we told our story like (laughs) loud and proud. like, we need help. Like this is happening. People from all across the political spectrum, because at that time it was the Obama administration, so it's very much like civilized discourse. We had tea partiers. Oh man, what's that like? Right? We had tea partiers, and then we had like the most like head of the McLennan County Democrat. You know, everyone came together. And we had people from Church on the Bridge, which was our church. So like homeless folks were there, and like everyone was like fighting for Nas. And it was a 10-month battle. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, our, li- our our house was on the line. Our cars were on the line. My education, I had to stop and took out a lot of student loans that still haunt me. And, like, Don't it, they was, all? Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> but um, it, the impossible happened just by organizing. And I didn't even know that's what organizing was. And now I'm a full-time organizer. And I'm just practicing the same principles of getting people together for a common cause and using that voice, that power to hold people accountable and push people who are in elected positions to know that you, you're accountable to the people who elected you and even you're accountable to the people who haven't voted, but now they will. And so that's what we did in that County up in Cook County, North Texas. And um, that DA and the judge up there was like, you know what? He wasn't advised that this plea deal compromised his immigration status. Now it's kind of a Supreme court ruling and we're, we have to reopen the case and they reopened the case and found that there was no evidence. So they dismissed it. So he went from being someone with a felony drug charge, on probation for the next five years um, to being in immigration court. And they're like, oh, you no longer have a felony and we have to let you go. And he just walked out and then five years later applied for citizenship and got it. And so that is the power. That's why I'm so addicted to like collective organizing and just like this community, like whenever you achieve something, (laughs) hey, Katie, (laughs) when you, we got the wine folks, Um, whenever you work together for something, it was just a small group of us locally. It was probably 20 people. Facebook, we had 300 people. And we went up against the Department of Homeland Security in an impossible immigration case. You ask any attorney, it was impossible. And we won. And he's home and he's a citizen. He's a great dad to our two kids. And um, I came home. When he came home, I wept and grieved because I had been in that detention center 
every other weekend for 10 months. You drove to South Texas. It was an hour south of San Antonio. (gasps) Yeah. And you only visit for an hour. So I went back Saturday and Sunday. So it was like so much. The phone calls were $400 a month. It was nuts. If you don't have connections or money or fundraising or all this stuff, like it's a totally different experience. And a lot of people, I think that from my experience um, with, you know, people I've talked to, A, they don't feel like they have anyone to go to for support, but also they're scared Mm -hmm. because them themselves are undocumented. Absolutely. And so we, when he came home, I cried and said, we can never forget those people. I held babies on my lap. They were, they were family. We became family because their dads were there alongside my husband and um, they were on the phone talking to him. And it's it's like all of a sudden we became one big family. It was like 13 windows. We all visited together. And um, I was there watching like him and I held on to hope week after week. Like this is going somewhere, like something good's yeah. going to happen. But I remember seeing families bring duffel bags. No, because whenever they're being deported, like all you can bring is a duffel bag for them to have on the other side. And so I was like, when I would see those duffel bags, there was just like so much grief when I'm like these babies, like a lot of newborn babies, whatever. Cause that's why the men were coming was like to, to work and yeah. sustain our economy and our damn avocados. <laughs> and so they were coming and then here's the whole family dropping off a duffel bag, teenagers holding back tears. And I love teenagers and I connect with them so much. And I'm like, I could just see how they were like being stoic and hard, but like there was their children and they have so much behind their eyes, you know, where they were holding back the tears to be strong for their mom especially the young boys to be strong for their mom. Cause now all of a sudden you're the man of the house. Now you got to figure out how to pay bills cause mm. mom's taking care of the kids and like all these things going through their young minds. I'm there at like 20 something years. I think I was like 28 years old and they are like babies having to grow up so fast. And when we left, I was like, I'm never going to stop fighting for them. Cause they're still there. That facility has 1200 beds. They're still there. And so um, he understood my fight and my fervor. And for a long time we traveled and spoke and shared our story um, and then I finished college. I went back for my master's. We had two babies and then finished my master's in May of 2018, applied for a grant that was in response to SB4, which was like the Texas state bill that deputized local law enforcement as immigration officers, Oof. which made immigrants even more scared. Yeah. Um, and like kind of ruined relationship between immigrants and PD, which our PD did not like. They did not. They're like, that is not our job, you know, but their hands were tied for a while. And so you can see um, in their response. Yep. And so here we are as a funded organization, the Waco Immigrants Alliance. And we recognize that in Waco, a lot of our immigrant families are facing deportation because of unnecessary interactions with law enforcement, like unnecessary arrests for like invalid driver's license. Right. And so we are working now on crimmigration, which is like that intersection of criminal justice and immigration where, yeah, um, where we're like decarceration is the goal, decriminalizing communities of color. We need it to not be a crime just to be part of a community of color. Like that's, you should not just be threatened by your existence. Like, you know, walking around, like you run the risk of being um, harassed or arrested or accused. And so um, now we're, we've been working on other policies that are more criminal justice related because it's going to impact the immigrant community too. And so it's that whole, like the quote, by Emma Lazarus, like none of us are free until all of us are free. Yeah, And so yeah. we're just working for liberation. And so it's brought us to a time like right now, this time, like the deaths of George, George Floyd yes. and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey were so tragic and awful, but it's, it has brought people forward who now have no more excuses. So let's um, talk about that. Let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about that. Um, where your journey has brought mm-hmm. you 
to today. Yeah. Where we're seeing you. It's an important year. It's it, an election this is, year. This is an election it year. Is. Um, <laughs> and so why is this election, A, important for mm-hmm. um, white Cohen's to get out there, register to vote, mm-hmm. um, but also there's a, there's who a special, should who should they vote <laughs> for? Well, you know, we see a lot of people complain about politics and say, like, if I were in charge, I would do it a certain way. And I mean, I just, I had friends come up to me and say, if you run, I'll support you. And I was like, what, me? me? I'm doing, I'm already doing kind of a lot, but they're like, hope if you do it, you're not alone, we'll support you. And so I did. And the reason why, what what really prompted me to run for school board at large position seven, which means that anyone in the city, anyone who votes in Waco ISD uh, school board elections can vote for me for position seven. Um, But the reason why I ran was because I was watching what was happening on the school board. Um, I was very disappointed. That's an understatement about how they handled um, the situation with Dr. Nelson. I felt like that was an opportunity for us to use to to live the example of what restorative justice looks like. Talk about that. Talk about. Yeah. uh, So Dr. Nelson Nelson, um, was was arrested whenever he possessed a very small amount of marijuana Um, somewhere between here and, and Houston. He was on the highway and was coasting in the left lane and was pulled over. And for and for me, I'm like, you know, how many times I have coasted in the left lane between Houston and here mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't arrested because I'm not brown. So or I wasn't pulled over and profiled. So he was arrested for having that small amount of marijuana, per, personal amount, you know, no, nothing like drug dealing and all that mm-hmm. crazy stuff. It wasn't. Um, but instead. And so I, a lot of people were like, well, we have to show kids that like this zero tolerance. And I was like. Or we can show kids that, like, even if you mess up, you can change and you can be restored back to your community, your family, society. Absolutely. And and we also need to recognize that there are numerous states in this country where (laughs) it is not only is it legal, but it was deemed an essential business. And and medically necessary. And medically necessary. And so you don't know why he smoked. And I understand that people are like, well, it's illegal. And I'm like. Well, there and for me, aside from that, I believe that like there are certain laws that we need to continue fighting to change because there are bad laws. And we have I I see a lot of people become complacent thinking specifically like white people or privileged people or wealthy people are like, well, that's the law. So that's just how it is. And like but laws have always we can change them. Like that's the whole point of the democratic process. Can be a moving target. Yeah. So um, (laughs) he was so people are like, we we are sending the wrong message to youth if we just let him get away with it. I was like, well, he messaging is everything. Like I love communications and messaging. We we can control the narrative. You can say like this. I made a bad decision. Um, I put my career in jeopardy. I put my my ability to work with youth in jeopardy. And I want to show that like it's not worth it, and we can do better. Blah blah blah. Like you can go on a campaign to all the campuses and like talk to the kids about drug use and how it's whatever. But they chose instead to. He resigned, but it was because they were going to fire him. It was a forced resign. Yeah. yeah. And so mm-hmm. I, for one, was disappointed in that because we had so much community support for him. 400 or so people showed up at one of the churches in East Waco. I think it was Carver Park. And we're, and we had pastors behind him, Hispanic, white, um, black pastor, everyone saying we value him. He was turning this district around. He's what we needed. And but they just said, Mer. like people, there are people that told him they had his back on that school board that betrayed him. I'll just say that. So um, he, we <laughs> lost him. So that was like strike one for me because sure. I'm a Waco ISD mom. My kids are pre-K yeah. three and kinder. You're not just like, and that's, I think that's something that's really important to mention. Talk talk. You have children that are in Waco ISD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing because it, it's like, you know, I think, I honestly think this should be a prerequisite. Like, why you need is to, it? You right? need to have, or need to be a teacher, or need to be yes. some kind of, you need to have some sort of stake. We have like all these like business owners and bankers and lawyers. And I, I understand having like, 
our city has a city attorney. Our school board needs an attorney, I guess. Um, or we can just defer to the city attorney because we're part of the city, whatever. Right. But um, yeah, it's just people, a lot of people on the board who are out of touch. It's like, could you imagine if some random person could run for PTA president? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, we do have a lobbyist who lobbies against public education as our secretary of ed for the U.S. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's, her career has been to defund public schooling and she's a secretary of ed. So it just comes all the way down. We're not talking about the boss, are we? We are. That's and so that's why it's important when we vote for president. You're not just voting you're for one issue. You're not just pres- voting for the president. Yep. The whole cabinet. So one thing that's really important to me, and, you know, we have friends who are, you know, very vocal about, like, voting doesn't matter. I disagree. Wholeheartedly. Uh, whole, wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. If you want your, if you want free education, vote it in. The roads. If you <laughs> want roads, vote it in. If things that matter most to you, vote it in um the noises that you are hearing are on that note let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and we're going to talk about voting hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I'm Josie. And we're we're your judges. judges. And this is by the cover. No, wait. Do you want us to? Oh, Okay, we'll try it again. Hi, I'm Becca. And I'm Josie. And And we're we're your your judges judges on By the Cover, a new podcast. Yeah, we're a talk show. God, we're a Josie. Yeah, we're a comedy talk show centered around Amazon book review culture. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are. All the We're places. There. You can't hide from us. Anyway, listen to our show. We're going to be funny. We're going to be talking about books, and it's going to be great. Yay! Promo over. The words I'm singing now mean nothing more than me. Hello, we are What's Your Excuse? Podcast. Exactly. I'm Caitlin. I am Megan. And we are here to talk to you about all of your things that you want to shit talk about. That's right. Is your life going poorly? Check. Are you curious about diseases that are running rampant? Check. Check. Do you want to know all the places I have had sex in this world? Check. Check. (laughs) You can find that all right here on What's Your Excuse Podcast. Uh, at Rogue Media Network, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Google. Yes, that's right. And give us a follow. Thanks. <laughs> What's your excuse? 
Okay, so while we were on this commercial break, Hope uh-huh. explained to us why <laughs> she, she decided to run. I did. So I'm a ranter. Let's let's go over. Let's recap because honestly, I feel like everybody say everything needs to hear you it. just said. Like repeat yeah. it all. I can. I can. I do this in my sleep. So I was talking about you know there were, there were probably like three strikes for me as a Wake YSD parent and like what essentially brought me to run. One one like I said was about how was, things were handled with Dr. Nelson. Number two was um, whenever Dr. K- well, there's probably four. Never mind. When Dr. Kincannon was brought in without any community input so there was like this woman who's very sweet very I'm very skilled at what she does and so she was brought in but there's like already this feeling of mistrust between wake ysd and wake ysd families that has been like generational and we can talk about that later but there's this already we're working so hard quote unquote to build trust between wake ysd and the families well then this woman who also happens to be personal friends with two of our board members she gets hired no questions asked, gets put in. And like I said, I'm sure she has lots of valuable skills, but the community should have been part of that dialogue and discussion. They should have had a voice in it. They should have heard all of her credentials, heard all of her ideas and plans and be like, yeah, we think she's going to do a great job. That was number two for me was that lack of like dialogue. Number three was whenever I went to a community forum and heard them mention very briefly, hypothetically, but with a plan that Carver Middle School was on the chopping block, that they mm. were thinking about closing Carver, turning it into like an early childhood education center, and kids would just be bused across the city. I'm like, we've seen this before. Kids, we, our families need neighborhood schools. They are the hub of community life. We have a, so, we have a 28% poverty rate in Waco, and you're gonna expect parents to what, walk across the river, the, the bridge to get to the other side of Waco to go visit their kid's school when they need to, like PTA conferences, teacher conferences. When the kid misses the bus, Oh, now they're truant. Oh, now they have char- them and their parents have charges. So like, this is not feasible to bus kids, even if it's across to Indian Spring Middle. And also the longer the bus ride. I mean, schools start at what? Eight o'clock in the morning? I hate waking up early. I know. So like, I mean, honestly, like, I mean, my bus ride when I, I rode the bus growing up because I went to public school. And if Jacob and I ever decide to have kids, they will absolutely yeah. go to public school yeah. because mm-hmm. it's a rite 100%. of passage. Um, but and it also I just think it just makes a kid rounded you know what i mean that's how i am who i am exactly like you know it you know parts of it are tough Mm -hmm. you know what i mean parts of it are rough i mean i so i grew up in a town that there was one school it's one well not one school but like we had uh like six or seven elementary schools two middle schools and one gigantic high school wow and so but like you went to each of those growing yeah i went to i went to well, I went mm-hmm. to Westside Elementary. Shout mm-hmm. out Westside Wildcats. Uh, but then I went to uh, West Coffee Middle School mm-hmm. and then Coffee High School because I'm Coffee. Coffee County, yeah. Okay. Like, I personally, like the drink. <laughs> I went to five different high schools. Jeez. Uh, yeah, my family was not in the military. That, yeah. Uh, I, and I could also throw a football 60 yards is where uh, Mike is. I'm not sure. Because I was captain of the football team. No, he hey, hey. Valedictorian. No, he was like third string. No, lies, lies. <laughs> it was like third string. I was the uh, vice valedictorian. Oh, no, he was goodness. not. Yeah, just being bussed across town is like well, not the right thing. The people, people who dropped out the most, who notoriously dropped out the most, are the ones who Hard. lived really Further. far mm-hmm. out, who had an hour and a half bus ride. Mm-hmm. Think about it. School starts at 8. The buses get there by 745 mm-hmm. minimum. So you're getting up at 6 a.m. I got up at 530 every morning for high school. Oof. That was... No. That's why this idea of the bootstraps is just complete BS. Like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need boots first. You got to get boots, and then you got to get the straps, and then you got to get the freaking... <laughs> Don't forget the socks, so you got... Yeah, you, you, got, got... you need socks, because you, you like, oh. like... Get ulcers. Understand what that an- analogy means. Yeah. Like, 
pull yourself up. You gotta start from somewhere. When you tell people to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, it's like it's it's implying that they've already got a leg to stand on. And we're totally ignoring his history and how just two or three generations back, some of our friends' grandparents were slaves. And so you cannot say pull yourself up by your bootstraps when we've got this economic advantage over people when they don't they don't have generational wealth. They don't have their great grandparents who own businesses or whatever. They are coming from a zero, like like they're starting at ground zero and having to build with every other racial injustice and inequality bearing down on them. So you've got to not build your wealth and your generational wealth whenever education is bent against you because like black and brown kids are disciplined far worse than like, you can look at the stats on the disproportionality between that um, for the same things that their white counterparts, um, you know, the same disciplinary, disciplinary behavior behaviors, they're being harshly disciplined, sent to alternative campuses. And yeah. And then, and that stuff stigmatizes a kid. And when you start putting kids, so there was this program when I was growing up in elementary school, it's called star program. Mm -hmm. And it was a disciplinary program that was made for, it was like an alternative school for elementary school kids what? where okay this Seriously? is what this is this is i'm gonna tell you Cradle all this story. To prison pipeline or school to prison exactly pipeline. but um, when i tell you what happened to these kids you're gonna be like i cannot believe this was a legal form of pun- punishment for children mm-hmm. they had to shave their heads Jesus. they had to wear black um like black sweats and i'm talking long sleeve shirts and long so girls pants. had to shave their heads G- girls had to wear their hair very like ponytail very type. very tight ponytail they had to it said star across their ironic. And so here's the thing is not only were they required to still go to lunches and stuff with the regular kids wearing these outfits, they were still at the school with us. This is real? No, no, no. We wonder why people are mad and bitter. It gets worse. How can it get worse? While we were at like- Did they kill one of the kids? (laughs) How how much worse can it get? No, no, no. It gets worse. So while we were at like- um, after like towards the end of the day is when you started having like PE and stuff. Yeah. Instead of PE, they were required to outside. There was a pile of dirt Stop and they it. had shovels and Prison. their job was to shovel the dirt from one side to another pile. Okay, and you're the next day me right they had to shovel the dirt from that side to the other side and people watch them. And what was the percentage of the racial, the racial makeup percentage? of that group? Yeah. I would honestly probably mostly black kids, mm-hmm. but Jesus. I mean, there were other races, there were white kids, but these kids, I promise you didn't make it to high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, like the system is bent against them. They and- dropped out. They, cause they're, then they're the kid that was in the star program. Mm-hmm. And once you're in the star program, yeah. like, Oh, a teacher. Oh, oh, that kid was in the star. Oh yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, no, it was it. When I, when I, I remember a couple years ago when I remembered this and I started thinking back on it and how normal it was that this was a thing i've never Mm. heard of anything like this this is south georgia oh georgia south georgia and i I would be horrified to find out if it was still a thing i i haven't surely not i hope not not. this has got to be what 2000 i think this was 2000 2001 2002 what there's a two zero before yeah this was was 2001 2002 i think that's where we're coming from like we tell people to get over it post-racial society in the 2000s you had elementary school children with black jumpsuits shoveling dirt in systems that are georgia in the school in a school yeah like that's why we cannot ignore the impact the huge impact that schools have on families and like from everything i know um from my entire like social work education and from my lived experience and from my friends' experiences, et cetera, we know, even from the research, like schools are the hub of community life and families' experiences. So we can either have schools that offer um, vision clinics like Transformation Waco that offer um, 
mental health services, counseling, uh, support groups, or job classes or job training classes, whatever, whatever it is the need is. We can either have these like little community centers at each of our schools, or we can make school a really terrifying, humiliating, shaming, sad, disappointing place to be. And so for me, I'm like, I want us to start diverting resources to our schools. You know, we're in the, we're in the, which just have been happening the past two weeks. People are saying defund the police. What that means is not get rid of your entire police department. Yeah. That means start diverting it yeah. to community Reallocate. resources, reallocating it to community resources. And I think schools need to be a hub of those distribution of those resources and fulfillment of those resources. So I, I started my campaign only because I wanted Carver to stay open. I believe in our neighborhood schools. Um, I believe we need to invest in them. I don't believe that we need to start diverting all of our resources to GT and Atlas because that creates a two, two districts within one that creates this whole system where, um, people who are privileged or, um, majority white end up in the GT program. And so they're getting all this money and these services and the rest of the kids have like this poorly funded. I got a lot of problems with the GT I was program. GT. I was GT. I, I was not. Uh, and I'm a bit bitter about it. Be bitter because it shouldn't yeah, exist. Because I, I could mean, throw a football 60 yards. That's why they didn't, <laughs> they didn't allow me in there. Like, this guy's got it going on in other areas. But I genuinely, uh, I feel I, I, I feel ashamed looking back on that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm a white guy. So I got, you know, all these other privileges mm-hmm. as just a, you know, white straight but male. But you can, you can connect with the whole feeling um, of shame of not yeah, being I felt, I felt, I feel shamed. Like, mm-hmm. oh shit, I was dumb. I'm, I'm a <gasps> dumb person. It, that program should I not didn't. exist. Well, they, honestly, the, the way that they, a way that some schools like putting, letting kids know that they were a remedial reader in elementary school to call it remedial and be like, oh, you're a slow reader. You know, it, it starts putting that, like mm-hmm. that thing in the back of their brain, like, oh, I'm not smart. And so then it's like, there's nothing to, it, 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 it starts, you we know, need to start I mean? highlighting what their gifts are. Like Absolutely. instead of saying yeah, you're a remedial reader, reality. start focusing on you're an excellent artist. Well, like start calling you're out so their kind. gifts. I, I, I honestly <laughs> think witty. I was too dumb at that age no. to, to realize that the, that GT meant that I wasn't smart enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that cause I'm, I wasn't a dumb kid. No. Uh, but like, uh, I, I just, but here's the other thing you with gifted and talented. Yeah. The only way to get, I don't know about how your like school system, nominated. even to get nominated to take the you, test, you the teacher be, has to nominate yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And then people, it was always like, not always, because mm-hmm. I don't know what uh, your your family situation mm-hmm. was, but to, from what I remember, mm-hmm. it was mostly kids that were well, well off. Well, I, I dropped kids. out, voluntarily left GT in seventh grade and chose to stop. So they were busting me across the district. They were pay, picking me up in my very like mixed income neighborhood, which I loved. Um, and they were, gosh, I, I probably still need to unpack this with a therapist, but they were picking hey, me up on my street. I was on one side it. of the street and my friends were on the other side of the street. And so the regular middle school was picking them up. And then my middle school was picking me up and I'm, and we all loved each other, but I was just like, this doesn't feel right. And then my, the people at my GT school were so mean, so snooty, so rude, so exclusionary. Like they just, they were awful. And I chose in seventh grade to pull myself out of GT. I started failing on purpose. Um, so my mom agreed. There's so many kids who do that. And I just went to the regular school. Yeah. And it, it shaped who I am today. Loved it. And um, I don't regret it at all. And I don't think we should have, like, we need, like, Montessori, where you have different ages, different strengths, different abilities, different gifts. I giftings, do like the Montessori. And we all learn school. together. And, uh, like, we don't, this whole system only 
it's created to benefit one class and one race of people in that intersection of class and race. And um, it just, it's time for us to undo it and start dreaming a different dream and a vision for our schools. They're, I'm like Montessori, like they, it's happened. People have already tried it out and it's worked. So why aren't we heading in that direction? A learning on your own pace Every, type situation yeah. for kids. It absolutely works. Yeah. Every person that I've ever met that is close to my age that went to a Montessori mm-hmm. school is like the most perfect human being. <laughs> They're like it's a the global most, perspective. They're, they're like the most amazing athlete, this and then they're also super funny and super smart, and artistic, and, and always good looking. That's like, like what is going for on there? So our friend uh, Keely and Chris Aguayo, they mm-hmm. uh, they live in El Paso right now, but all of their kids are Montessori kids. They're kids four are boys. T- <laughs> yes. They're all Montessori kids, and they are. They're adorable. They all can already ride bikes. Like the oldest one is like five, Whoa. and they ride. ride they ride bikes without training wheels. What? Yeah, like because even it's the, encouraging this free thinking, yes. and like out of the box. And she's like, yeah, none of them started on training wheels. We started them on balance bikes, and then they went immediately what? to my like regular. My neighbor had to teach me. My dad didn't even. <laughs> so teach me there's like a three, two and a three year old who are on like regular bikes. What? The the three year old loves making cookies and muffins oh and just like gosh. all of these things. And I'm just like. These kids are so independent. Yes. And I understand, like, we as Wake YSD school board members have to operate within. Well, I'm not I'm not a member. I'm running for the position. Just a Vote disclaimer of hope. <laughs> um, but as once you are a member of the school board and, and the district, like, you have to operate within. Like, we, we do have standardized testing. But however, we have seen, thanks to corona, we, we they don't, don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need it. It's There's not a risk getting thing. rid of the SATs. Hallelujah. Because, like, this is just, it has historically been a way to, to hold children back who just don't think, work, operate in the same, like, it's honestly white supremacist culture. I would encourage hmm. everyone to Google. There's a document on Google. It's called white supremacy culture. And it's it's different. You think like, oh, white supremacy, KKK, hoods. No, it's a culture of white supremacy. And what that means is that a lot of our systems and institutions and governments and even the way our churches run, um, we don't realize it. But because white people have always been um, at an advantage or who were the in control and in power, our systems were set up white people were making decisions. And so the systems were set up where whites were superior. And so that way, like our Institute, there's white supremacist culture. Yes. It's through this certain lens. And so I, as a Cajun girl and my, my, my great, great grandparents, whatever coming from Nova Scotia, immigrating here, we are white. So we had the privilege of being like accepted into white, like whiteness. Um, But we also had this weird dynamic of like functioning more like immigrants, like with the cultural dynamics of, um, Gosh, just we don't we, there's not a lot about my culture in, in Louisiana that was the white supremacist culture. We're very we're late. We just like enjoyed the moment. We it was quality over quantity. We weren't very like pro- productivity output um, profit driven. It was like relationships and like loving each moment. Like it was just what they call like, like BPT, like brown people time, or brown people culture, whatever. It was it was this this appreciation for like every moment because you don't know if it's going to be your last And so when I switched over into academia, like I struggled in academia because it was like hard deadlines, which is white white supremacist culture, productivity, output, um, efficiency. And like we were machines and we're ants, worker ants. And in academia, I always wanted to give my teachers like high quality papers and work. And they're like, Hope, just give me something to grade. I was like, ethically, my character, I can't, I can't. And they were like, Hope, I, I, I would rather you give me something than be late. I was like, that's not how I work. And so it was that rub. And I know a lot of my black and brown siblings feel that rub against way more deeper than I do. But it's that this rub where every single space that you move in and operate in 
it's not built for you. It's not set up for you or your, your yeah. success. And so that's I, why you feel that resistance mm-hmm. in, a, in that space because it's made for mm-hmm. somebody else's skin. Yeah, it's, like it's literally. And, and I, I wish that people would hear, like I even posted on my hope for wake wise Instagram that one of my priorities as a board member would be to dismantle these systems and structures of white supremacy. That doesn't mean that we go out and hate on white people. What that means is that we dismantle what was created to benefit exclusively white people and rebuild something that is equitable and that benefits everyone. I think a good example of this is um, if you look at the the New York State school system, like yes. the New York City school, school system. So the way that the New York City school system works is you have to apply and then um, actually interview for each level of school. Mm-hmm. So when you're in kindergarten and you are, mm-hmm. or you're about to go to kindergarten, you have to apply. And then as a kindergartner, you wow. have to sit in front of a bunch of teachers, yeah, interview, very, very and get accepted into public, public school. Schools. No yes, way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you pick like five schools you want. Now you are required to get into one of them. Uh-huh. So like they have to be like within... Parts of me love this, but parts of me don't. Okay. Oh, because it, yeah, it's very bad. And and there's bad. a lot of bad. Oh, cool. I'll tell Economy and agency, but then I'm like, that doesn't but seem a okay. lot of these kids. So we have a friend who's an elementary school teacher, and uh-huh. she is on this like, she gets picked every couple years to be on this like random teacher judging board, uh-huh. and these kids are coached. Uh-huh. They are ta- like you of are course. taught to take the test. And like, how to like answer the test. Uh-huh. And so, and this happens for elementary school. Then it happens for middle school. And the elementary school you get into determines what middle school you get uh-huh. into. And what middle school you get into determines what high school you get into. And there's this test to get into high school that there are families that literally have their kids. It's like taking the SAT and getting into college. They are, so exhausting they are, the they are, they are taught the how to live. take the test. And it's a very expensive tutoring. Mm -mm. And so you have people who have never taken this test before. And then you have kids who have taken this test 20 or 30 times with a tutor who know how to answer the questions. And it's awful. It's It's very systematic. And so eventually they were like, you know, we need to get away, do away with this. And um, ironically, there was actually a small, there's an immigrant population who has mm-hmm. learned this system. Mm-hmm. And so they were like very against getting rid of it. Cause they were like, no, we beat the system. We figured it <laughs> we out. Figured it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, Chinatown. It was in Chinatown mm-hmm. in New York. They had just, they had figured it out and they were like, no, but my kids are getting into, we are coming to America mm-hmm. to get our kids into better schools. Yeah. Uh, and so there's and pluses and minuses. To, you shouldn't, shouldn't have to, have to go through all that. the hoops to get your kids into a good school. Absolutely not. Yeah, I love the idea of having schools that, so when we rethink our whole school system, schools are like preparing kids for quote unquote college or something. Mm-hmm. Well, why aren't our schools like rewind? Let's go back to when they're young people. I'm like my children already kind of know what they're into. Like one's into art and creativity and whatever. One of them's already into like gaming and like engineering and the whole physics, mathematics side of it. And one is already artistic. Cultivate that. They make a lot of money. Right. (laughs) So why are we putting kids through these standardized? We think it's efficient and we think it's like saving us money or something, Mm -hmm. but it's not because then we're sticking them in that groove. And and then we have all these jobs that are unfilled, like specialty jobs. And then we have a bunch of kids with like, English degrees who don't get hired and then we have like so it just starts from when they're little like can we cultivate their natural things that they're already in love with passionate about things are already leaning towards give them options and everything but and like a basic knowledge of some Asian countries for example they focus on like are like Finland or Norway those two they're like let's let's work on their um who they are as a human 
and their social skills mm -hmm. and their kindness and generosity and empathy before we even begin teaching them math or English or whatever. I'm like, that's genius. Because you can learn math as a first, first grader, second grader. Sure. We don't need to teach that in kindergarten. Let's start out with basic human decency. Basically teach them <laughs> to not be dicks. Yes. First. Absolutely. Man, I'm okay great. with my children learning social skills, emotional skills, um, conversational skills. Their first three years of school. Cool. Sure. Amazing. It's just like um, teach them empathy. Yeah. Teach them how to be good humans, not to be dicks. Like, you know, think outside of the box. So I'm, I don't, I think we just re, we need to rethink our whole education system, but that's another battle for another day. hundred percent. Who so, you vote for the president matters. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> so hope, uh, as we kind of get to the end of our podcast here, summarize, why should we vote for you? Well, okay. And, and on top, and just to piggyback <laughs> on top of Katie, um, what's in the future for yeah, you, even I, outside of uh, this? Yeah, uh, I can combine both of those. So I think- <laughs> People are have been wondering, like, since the election was postponed to November, aren't you worried about? And now there's like so much bigger of a voter pool because it's the presidential election. And to that, I say, oh, I'm of course like there's anxiousness or nerves or whatever, but I'm out here living the re like living my values and my beliefs. Every when I'm helping the BLM organizers with the last two protests, when I'm helping create Change Waco with my black and brown organizer friends who are leading up these other organizations, but who were all coming together for Change Waco to connect people so that we don't lose momentum. When I'm, like, I'm just out there living who I am, being who I am. And I'm like, that's all the campaigning you need. Granted, yeah, I'll get yard signs. We don't want people to forget your name on the ballot, blah, blah, blah. But um, we're creating Change Waco and where Waco Immigrants Alliance is still running. And um, I'm just, I'm living out the things I believe as far as what our kids deserve in Wake YSD and my investment in the success of all of our children and families and um, recognizing that our parents in Wake YSD were once our children in Wake YSD. Like it's a generational thing. And um, I don't, I don't think that I, I need to be afraid of what's going to happen in November because if I just keep pushing forward for like our fellow man and our, our, our folks in Waco, like it's, people are going to know me. They're going to know why I'm in this. And I have people who have known me for the past 10 years here who are vouching for me and saying hope's the real deal. Like she's she's not just talk, she's action. And so I'm I'm at peace. I'm confident. I'm because at the end of the day, like if if not enough people vote for me, that just shows like where we're at and how we we just need more voter registration. We need we just need to mobilize more. It's not gonna make me feel like I'm unworthy. I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. All it is is gonna show me like, hey, let's just get more voters engaged. People have been who have been marginalized, disenfranchised. And that's black, brown, low income. There's this, there's the whole idea of the 1%. People but. need to vote for their best interest. So Hope, uh, you've done a few, <laughs> uh, you performed at a few of our open mics. I mean, just because, sad. well, I, so, I wanted to help. I'm a helper. So wait, you're not, you're not a helper. You wanted to do it because it made you feel good. I love it. But I wouldn't have stepped up if like but I was taking someone else's spot. You were doing it. Uh, you never take someone else's spot at our open to, mic. Sometimes they're packed though. They so are. not just feel good, but also you, you felt like you wanted to lend your voice to, yeah. to the platform. And it's therapeutic, man. Art it is, and singing isn't it? is so therapeutic. Yeah. I love it. So who, uh, who's your favorite musician? Oh, I've been listening to, especially since quarantine and everything, is Julia Michaels. Okay. I don't, I don't oh, know who that is. She is the soundtrack of the last year and a half of my life. <laughs> okay. Very you gotta go specific. listen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, uh, that's Wait, all. Julia <laughs> Michaels. Michaels. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It, I, I bet you the one song you've heard is the song that's, um, oh, it's the one about the... Uh, it's it was the quarantine song, the end of the world, and oh, no, we got this. Yes, okay. Right, we're about to play it. 
We're gonna play. All right, all right. Let's pause for a second. We're gonna play. We're Julia gonna play Michael. ten was seconds the, of a Julia oh, Michaels. If the world was ending, yes. if the world was ending, you come over, right? That one. There it goes. That one. There it is. Julia Michaels. That's not her though. <laughs> Wait, that's a cover. Oh, she's, no, she's singing with him. Hold on. Oh, keep listening. Oh, she comes in. Come on. It's about like an earthquake. This happens. is a TikTok song right now. Is it? It is. Ooh. Here she comes. Yes. Oh, this is the quarantine song, coronavirus. Listen to it. the chorus. This is the theme song of this episode. Listen. You come over and you stay the night. That's normally her part. Would you love me for the hell of it? All the fears would be over. Yeah, so uh, that's, she does a she does a duo with him. I guess that's just his song. But, but. she <laughs> I, there it is. <laughs> well beautiful. She has like an edgy sound. Like she her lyrics are just so raw and real and relatable. And she talks about the things that she'll Whenever, you know, if you speak your truth and you name some emotion that you normally would feel ashamed about, like being unwanted, rejected, abandoned, whatever, she puts it in her music. And so you're like, wait, I'm not the only one who feels rejected, abandoned, unwanted, Aww. whatever. And so it's like Beautiful. you're not alone. And that's how that. you want kids to feel. Yeah, it makes yes, space for that. So one of my priorities is, as a school board, number one priority, if you look at my website, it's hope for, hope for wakewisd.com is um, having mental health services on every campus. There, People shouldn't have to go think have about to outside resources. How important that will be in this moment as mm -hmm. we're talking about- All the traumas. We're, we're talking about defunding the police, reallocating, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Think about how important that would be to just move somebody over there. Absolutely. And put it towards kids. They don't grow up to be dysfunctional adults. Yeah, because we've, the we've biggest all got problem. trauma. We need to learn how to deal with it and cope with it. It doesn't matter if you're yeah. the most perfect parents. I have my best friend. Her mom, I thought her mom was perfect. And she's still mad because her mom worked too much and wasn't home. Like, your mom sent you to a private Christian academy. You had a, like, 800 credit score at the age of 18. You owned a car and a house by the age of 21. But everyone, we're always going to interpret our, our childhood in a different way. And so I think everyone's got traumas to heal from. Everyone's got disappointments and hurts. And if we can have mental health access services on every campus, then we cut out the whole like transportation issue, the access issue and our kiddos and their parents um, can have all the resources they need to heal and thrive and grow and succeed in school. So that's incredible. Well, that's hope Balfa Mustakim. Thank you Vote so hope. much. Vote hope Vote on hope. November 3rd. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. This was a yes. uh, very uh, a great and informative episode. And follow so Change Waco. Yes, follow Change Waco. Hope Please follow um, the Waco Immigrants Alliance. So yes. Info on Change. We didn't really talk too much about Change Waco. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, so we're gonna do it. We're gonna follow up. Yeah, Change Waco is gonna. We're gonna. Come. No, no, that's what I was gonna say. We're gonna. We're gonna do a follow up mm -hmm. episode specifically about Change Waco. Um, yeah. That I'm very very excited about. Yeah, we're gonna have our Change Waco leaders here to talk about what it is and why we did it. So I'm very excited. I'm excited for this next chapter for Waco. Um, I am a very, very big supporter of do not cancel 2020. 2020 yes. is the awakening. No, no, no. And Our shell is off. We can do we hard exposed. things. And we are working towards change right And here's now. the thing. So I can't wait for 2021 where we can all be like hindsight was 2020. <laughs> Check out my new shell. You can't, you can't do nothing to this shell. The shell is impenetrable. No, it's, you know, there's so, it was a refining. 20, the beginning of 2020 was a refining. It was a fire. And a lot of us came out just did clarity, focus, passion. Absolutely. The, the, this was a nice 
freaking nightcap on the past four years. But, you Goodness. know. Vote in November, vote, folks. Please. And don't just vote one issue. Vote for, if you're going to vote pro-life people in Waco, Texas, vote pro all facets of life. Education, immigration, economics, housing, all of it. Vote for, don't let anyone fool you into thinking it's just a one issue election it's not it's let's let's vote pro-life across the board don't be fooled and bamboozled um there are policies that are put in place that can actually reduce um the need for elective abortions and i know that's a sensitive topic in waco and i'm gonna name it right now because it's the reason why we've always lost those elections um but know that that we can be pro-life and be pro every stage of life absolutely yeah Thank you so much, Hope. Thanks, yeah. Hope. Love y'all. Vote Hope. Vote <laughs> Keep Waco Loud, the podcast, is produced by Oni Chan Productions. Our theme music is by Fish Hands. If you like what you hear, you should check them out on Bandcamp. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and if you really like us, give us a five-star rating. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or check out our website, where you can buy merch or even see some local events coming up. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.